Just going to start by giving a disclaimer that uh, the sound system is acting up over the past few weeks. So if in the middle of this message you hear something explode, just stay focused, okay? We're, um, we're praying and asking God for things to be fixed in these practical areas. Just recently we fixed our live stream uh, where the voice, the volume wasn't there at all for a few weeks. And now that's up and going again. So thank you for your patience. And um, I don't want to start going into the word that way. I want us to pray again if we can. And so if we can just bow our hearts before the Lord. And then just ask him to speak to our hearts again. God, this is your word. We are your people. We're hungry to receive from you. We pray for a spirit of humility to receive it as you want to give it. Untainted. Untwisted. Pure clear, straightforward. We pray for clarity. We pray for freedom from confusion, even distraction this morning. And we ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to rest upon the ministry of this word. And we ask, Lord, for uh, the grace to obey it and to adore you as a result of it. Lord, come in the power of the Holy Spirit as we have anticipated this time to be in your presence with your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over the past couple years, we as a church have been able, at least in the English congregation, cover two books, uh, verse by verse. We've been able to cover the book of Ephesians, which focuses on the status that a Christian has when he puts his faith in Christ and the spiritual blessings that he receives as an adopted son. And then the practical side of how you and I walk in that position as a person who has received grace. And then we just recently finished the book of Galatians, which was a writing by Paul to defend the message of the gospel from legalists that were frustrating the faith of the Galatian Christians that were saying, you need to add works to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And this morning, in this new year, we are now beginning a new series and a new book. And this new book that we're going to cover is unique to the other two letters that we already covered um, because it is known as something as a pastoral epistle. We'll be covering, for the next few weeks, the book of 1 Timothy. And the book of 1 Timothy is unique because, again, it is under the category of a pastoral epistle, alongside with 2 Timothy and the book of Titus. Why is it called a pastoral epistle? It is because it is given directly to a pastor, a leader of a church, And not to a church as a whole like other letters would be. And this is a beautiful letter because it's a a personal one. And it doesn't mean that if you're not a pastor, you can't learn from it. It's how a pastor ought to, these pastoral epistles, how he ought to. It's a how-to manual of how to structure and organize the local church that he was called to serve in. It is highly practical, but it is greatly beneficial In fact, if you want to summarize 1 Timothy in two verses, the purpose behind why Paul wrote it, it's in chapter 3. Look at verse 14 with me. I hope to come to you soon, Paul writes, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress for the truth. 
Paul, when he wrote 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, it is believed was nearing the end of his life. And he had a ministry team. And he recognized a few of them as pastors. And they were successors to him. And so Paul, wanting to know that he would leave these churches in good hands, wrote in, in a very straightforward way of how holistically the church of Jesus Christ should operate, how it should function, how it should be organized. And as we unfold this book together as a church, we will see the blessings that come from obeying God's guidelines of how a local church should operate. As we discover verse by verse, we will also see the severe consequences of disobeying what God has given as a blueprint for how the bride of Christ should be adorned. And the prayer for this series is that as we are in one accord, we would all say amen to the wisdom of God for his own church. That's our desire. And we learn something from 1 Timothy. Before even diving into any verse, we know just from the theme of it, at least two things. Number one, we learn this, that the church does not have the freedom to operate the way they please. The local church does not have the invitation to run things the way they want to run things, the way they feel like is most effective or most comfortable or culturally accepted. God has given the church a blueprint, and that includes the role of men and women in the church. That includes the spiritual exercises that should be recognized and practiced continually. That includes discipline and confrontation against those who would not repent of sin from the leadership level down. That includes how finances should be handled. That includes how certain people in the church should be treated. And the list goes on and on and on. And the purpose of a book like 1 Timothy is to anchor the church throughout generations because as culture evolves and as society evolves, you better believe that they will put their pressure on the church and how it should look and act and express itself. But 1 Timothy shows us that God has a will for his bride for all time, which comes to the second point that the book of 1 Timothy helps us understand that we can position ourselves in a way that will please God in an act of faith and obedience by saying yes to what he says for his church. The Lord Jesus Christ is not coming back for a business. He's not coming back for an organization. He's coming back for a bride. And in Ephesians 5, it tells us that God's desire for his bride is that she would be without spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's what he's looking for when he comes back. And we have to understand that these instructions are not just for a recipe for a successful ministry. These instructions are given by a king who wants his bride to look and act in a certain way. Unfortunately, especially in the West, there's a misconception in our generation that there's a freedom to create the local church to look how they feel like it should look, whether it is to appeal to the world or appeal to their own desires. And so unfortunately, what we see is many local churches that run as fun houses and entertainment arenas and using worldly standards to try to appeal to a people and to 
get their attention and try to keep their attention on a weekly basis by having more flash and more flair, slowly removing themselves from the authority of the word of God and how a church should actually function. And you have other churches that would call themselves a Christian church, but in reality, they want to be a religious social club. And it is a heavy emphasis on fellowship and getting together, and there is little to no value in preaching, teaching, mission, or vision. And then you have other churches, like major denominations, that have had specific historical traditions even, throughout hundreds of years, and they're holding on to those traditions to the point where tradition has taken center stage and the authority of God's word has been lost. And now men preach man-made concepts and it has triumphed over the simple commandments of God. First Timothy blows all of that stuff out of the water. First Timothy wants to tell us by the Holy Spirit, this is what it's really all about to dress ourselves in a way that would please God as a wife would for her own husband. So, as we begin this series, we're going to take our time to get so familiar with this book that we would all, leaders or not, understand God's holistic desire for how the local church should express herself. And before we jump into the details, this message this morning is going to serve as a background to this letter so that we can understand why, where, when, how, and then God will lead us from that moment on. Verse 1 of 1 Timothy. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. And it tells us, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Let's just stop there for a moment. Do you realize how Paul is speaking right from the get-go? Paul is speaking with tremendous authority. He is appealing to his apostleship. He's appealing to his calling by God to be an ambassador of the highest order and representing the word of God to the church of Jesus Christ. Paul comes and he doesn't want to say that he's a servant or a bondservant, though he does say that in other places, and though he does believe that about himself. But for the sake of this letter, he wants to tell Timothy and those who would hear from this letter, I'm an apostle. Meaning, the things that you're going to hear are coming straight from God. These are not my ideas. These are not my concepts. This is coming from headquarters in heaven. And this would have been tremendously encouraging to Timothy to realize that he's getting these instructions from the chief apostle. And this would have been extremely sobering to who? Those who would hear this word, but were, for whatever reason, attempt to resist. This simple introduction would put them in the rightful place. You're dealing with God's apostle. You're dealing with a man who met with Christ face to face and who was writing this letter. And surely it would make those who would try to attempt to resist or reject what he has to say think twice. And then he says here to Timothy, verse 2. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now we know the recipient of the letter. And his name is Timothy. Timothy. We've heard of his name. But who is he? 
Why is he receiving this letter? Why is Paul writing to a guy named Timothy? What is he all about? And I think it's important for us to see who he is from his beginnings because when we understand Timothy on a practical level, I hope and pray that you and I will be extremely comforted to see how God can use anybody for his glory. And we're gonna learn so much just from the life of Timothy and who he is and how Paul relates to him for our own lives. And so the first place that we are introduced to this man named Timothy is in the book of Acts chapter 16. And I would encourage you to turn there. Acts 16 verse one. Who is this man Timothy? It says here in verse one of Acts 16, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers of Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places for they all knew that his father was a Greek. This is how we are introduced to Timothy. We meet this young man when Paul meets this young man. And I want us to pull at least three things out from Timothy's life and character. Number one, we are told that Timothy was a disciple when Paul met him. A disciple named Timothy. It is believed that this is not Paul's first time in this area. He, he's returning again. And as he returns to meet with the believers, he stumbles upon a young man named Timothy. Now we know that he's a young man because in 1 Timothy, we're going to learn that he was known as a youth. And perhaps even his, his age seemed to be a pressure that he was dealing with because some would not take him as seriously. So Paul encouraged him to let no one despise him because of his youth. Timothy was called to be a leader of the church of Ephesus. And perhaps his age was a hindrance to the authority that he wanted to carry and operate in. So if he was a, a youth, a young man in 1 Timothy, how young do you think he was when Paul first met him in Acts chapter 16? He was a disciple. Many believe he was in his high school years, in his young adult years at most. And what I love about this text is that when Paul meets Timothy, he finds a disciple. He doesn't find a churchgoer. He doesn't find somebody that has Christian on their Facebook status and posts a scripture here and there with the other pictures from their weekend drinking and partying. He finds a serious-minded follower of Jesus Christ at a young age. So much so that when Timothy was doing his thing, living for the Lord, he gained a reputation. It says there in verse 2, doesn't it, that he was what? Well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Even outside of his hometown, people heard about this young man, Timothy. And they saw his zeal and they saw his consistency and they saw that he lived according to his convictions. He probably stood out because of his young life. And Paul himself recognized that this was a special young man because he lived for the Lord at a specific season of his years. And this is no small thing to learn from because Timothy chose to serve and live for Jesus at a young age. And because of that choice, do you realize that he has set himself to be appointed by God? You know, I was reading this last night and I was thinking to myself, what if Timothy had not chosen to take God seriously in his younger life? What if he just wanted to be, I'm young, I want to explore, then I'll take God seriously in my older years, like many people think. I just want to explore. I just want to see what's going on. I have the excuse I'm young and people can look at me. He says he's young. He's, he's going to get into it. He'll realize it soon enough. You know, he's just maturing hormones and stuff like that. 
What if, he, what if he had done that? And Paul had come by. Would he have found Timothy? Would he have seen a man who was unique? Would he have seen a man, a young man, living for the Lord with zeal? Would he have seen something special in this person? This teaches me something incredibly important, that there is no season of life that we can afford to not live for the Lord wholeheartedly. And if you're young in this place, which is a majority of us in here, you choosing to follow Jesus at this point in your life may seriously determine how you will experience God's blessing for the rest of your years. This simple act of devotion that Timothy put into his mind on a daily basis literally positioned himself to be pointed out by the Apostle Paul and to be recruited into the ministry and to be launched out into, what if he had not taken God seriously in his younger life? I can tell you, before I was saved, I grew up in the church, and you know what my mentality was? My mentality was seriously this. When I get married and I settle and I do the things that I want to do, then I'll go to church, I'll raise my family so that they can have good morals and they won't get into too much trouble. I've come to realize that many people think like that. It wasn't just me. Timothy didn't think such foolish thoughts. Timothy, at a young point in his life, says, I'm going to live for him. I'm going to walk with him. Not because he knew Paul was going to recruit him, but because he loved the Lord Jesus Christ for himself. And this was an amazing thing because God was going to use him in a mighty way for that simple devotion to him. There is no point in your life in which you can take a break from God. You never know how you, failing to live for him, might be a missed opportunity. Cling to him. Timothy was a young man, a young disciple. This is how Paul found him. But Timothy was also a man with an interesting background. What are we told? That Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And this implies something that Timothy had a believing mother and he had a father that did not believe. Because when you, when you see how Paul addresses Timothy in 2 Timothy, you see that he praises his grandmother and mother but does not include his father. And so there's a strong indication that Timothy's dad was not a follower of Christ. He did not pour into him or have, and perhaps he did not even have the best relationship with him. I'm gonna explain why in a moment. But Timothy, having this interesting background, tells us something very encouraging. That he did not have this picture-perfect background. Timothy came from a spiritually divided home. Timothy came from a place that had its own unique frustrations. Some people here can testify the frustrations of having one believing parent and one who is not. Timothy surely experienced those tensions. And nevertheless, God still wanted to use Timothy. Do you know why? Because Timothy decided to follow Jesus even if his daddy didn't. Timothy owned up to his own faith and life even if his father was not necessarily an influence in it. I love that. Not to dismiss certain upbringings or the impact that it can have on a person but there is the possibility of many people using circumstances in their past life as an excuse not to be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord Timothy had no such mindset 
regardless of his father, whether he was involved in his life or not, he says, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. And do you realize that his father, being a Greek, and his mother, being a Jew, hindered him a lot in his potential witness to the Jews? The Jews would not take Timothy as seriously if he was to get involved in ministry because of him being a mixed breed. But that didn't stop God. Even though he was born into a status and a circumstance that he was not in control of, that first, at first might have been a hindrance to him being effective and as expandable for the Lord, this did not stop God from being able to use Timothy. See, you and I might have grown up in a certain way. You and I might have had some background issues, broken homes, dysfunctional families, situations and circumstances that were thrown on us, cards that were dealt that we did not ask for, but were not the best hand. But if we just choose to not make excuses, but to make prayers and to make devotions to the Lord, you and I will see the grace of God in And being able to change that and actually use it for God's glory somehow in some way. Timothy had an interesting background. Don't think that he grew up picture perfect, clean, and nice. No. He was very human. But because he decided to make one choice. You ready for this? Yeah, Timothy was a young disciple. And yes, Timothy had an interesting background that gives hope to the person that does not have the spiritual standard that we all hope for in terms of upbringing and heritage. But Timothy was a man who made great sacrifices for God at a young age. Can you please this morning picture Timothy as a 17-year-old young man? Don't think of Timothy at this point in his 40s. Think of Timothy as a first-year college student, let's say. Young, developing, wearing his backpack, having young friends as well, playing sports maybe even, I don't want to add to the Bible, but just envision your mind a young man. And he was a disciple. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. He was well spoken of by others. He had a reputation of living for God. But he was a man, a young man who made great sacrifices for God. How do we know that? We see here that Timothy, what happens? Paul wanted to recruit him and he took him in the second part of verse 2, and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. There's a difference between circumcision at eight days old, like the Bible commands in the Old Testament, and being a young man. It is not a pleasant experience, I'm sure. And can you imagine Timothy's reaction when Paul says, young man, I see so much potential in you. I see God's hand upon your life. I see that you're taking your faith seriously, unlike these other ones that seem to just be flippant with their convictions. But I see something unique in you. And I want to recruit you into the ministry. I want to call you to follow me as I follow Christ. I want you to be on my pastoral discipleship team, Timothy. Can you imagine how thrilling? I mean, surely he has heard about Paul and the stories and the crusades and the revivals and the miracles. And here's Timothy saying, really, me? Do you know that my father is a Greek? Do you realize that I don't come from the best background? And Paul looks and understands. And then at one point, Paul says, that's all fine and dandy. But Timothy, if you want to be used the way I feel like God wants to use you, we're going to have to circumcise you. Can you imagine Timothy's reaction? But he did it. 
See, Timothy in the physical sense was willing to cut off whatever he needed to cut off to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And what we learn from this is that the physical picture should be true in the spiritual sense. That you and I must be willing to cut off whatever we need to cut off in order to follow God. But unfortunately, many people cannot make that sacrifice. And like circumcision, I can tell you this, it's sometimes painful on a soulish level. You gotta cut off some of your buddies, don't you? You gotta cut off some habits, don't you? You gotta let go of some things, don't you? And it might, it might bleed a little bit, it might cut, it might hurt, it might be sore, but Timothy saw beyond the immediate pain and sacrifice, he saw the reward that would come from it. All of those things would be just a memory. All of those things would be something of the past. And Timothy looked beyond that and he says, if I'm going to be able to serve God to this extent, if it's going to require me to cut this off, then I'll do it. Just to live for him. Just to surrender to him and walk in the fullness of his plan for my life. The Bible speaks of a circumcision of the heart in the New Testament, not of the flesh. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you the reason why people can't graduate in their call for God, especially in their younger years, that's why I'm, I'm a big believer in conferences and retreats for young people. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in reaching the youth. You know why? Because Hitler believed in it. He says, he who owns the youth owns the future. If the devil has that revelation, surely the people of God must have that revelation. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that even at a young age, we should call people to a wholehearted devotion to God. But I can tell you over the years, many people were not willing to be circumcised in the soul in order for God to use them. And perhaps today, the reason why you are not experiencing God's plan, there's no clarity or directions because you're still holding on to something. You won't let go of it. I'm sure as much as this was painful for Timothy, down the road, he would rejoice in the fact that he made that choice. What are you holding on to that you think is going to make you feel better? Or give you a sense of purpose more than God's call for your life. Don't make that mistake. Timothy was a unique individual because Timothy seems to stand out from many young people. How can we summarize what this man is all about? I mean, if you want to leave this place and understand what was so unique about this man, Timothy, what can we say? I encourage you strongly to turn to Philippians chapter 2 in your Bibles and make this note about young Timothy that will forever brand your mind because it is the necessary ingredient for anybody to be used by God at any point in their lives. Philippians 2, verse 20. In speaking about Timothy, look what Paul says. He says that he's going to send Timothy, and then he says, for I have no one like him. Can you imagine Paul saying that? Paul had a ministry team. Paul knew a lot of people, and he goes, for I have no one like Timothy. Why? Who will be genuinely concerned of your welfare. Like, he really cares about people. He really cares about the ministry. He really cares about the condition of people's souls. And then he says this in verse 1, 21. This is where is the marker. This is what summarizes Timothy. They all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Verse 21. For they all seek their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. Do you know why Timothy was recruited for God's service? Do you know why he was so unique that he shined amongst the believers and you, you told people, do you know Timothy? Everybody's like, oh, Timothy, that young guy? Of course I know Timothy. Why? Because the man lived solely for the interest of Jesus Christ, not for others or his own. 
See, if there are your own ambitions in your heart, your own interest, your own future plans that are set above all, God cannot recruit you. God cannot use you to the extent that, but what God found in Timothy was a heart that says, all I want to do is please him. All I want to do is live for him. All I want to do is put a smile on his face. When? At 40? After he discovered life and realized that sin wasn't as pleasurable? No, as a teenager. As a young man with all the temptations that he faced when he walked in those aisles in his school. As all his other friends were goofing around, here's a man who says, my interests are for Jesus Christ. God says, because of that, watch how I'm going to use you, Timothy. And in my providence, watch how the Apostle Paul is going to stroll by your city one day. You don't have to advertise yourself. You don't have to send resumes to churches and missionary organizations say, I want to be. Watch how I'm going to pluck you and choose you and call you out. Because I saw your faithfulness in a season of life that it is very challenging. So we know who Timothy is, at least from when we first met him. But coming back to 1 Timothy, we see how Paul addresses him. Let's go back to 1 Timothy and see what he says in verse 2. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Man, do you hear the endearment? Do you hear the, the softness? Do you hear the bond that Paul has with this young man, Timothy? It's like a father-son relationship. He goes, oh, Timothy, my true child in the faith. And I love this about Timothy and Paul. Because it seems like perhaps Timothy did not have this relationship with his physical father. Perhaps he did not have that nearness and closeness with his earthly dad because of the natural separation that would occur from two different belief systems. And yet you see Paul coming into Timothy's life and pouring into him and relating it to him and speaking to him as a dad would. And I see something here. I see that when Timothy chose to follow Jesus Christ, God rewarded Timothy with a need that he perhaps had and now was being fulfilled. A father-like figure that would be able to pour into his life. Something that he was perhaps missing in those younger years growing up. Now was granted to him by a spiritual father. I think that is wonderful because Jesus promised those who would leave home Father, mother, wife, children, land, for my name's sake in the Gospels, they will receive a hundred times more in this life and the next. And I can tell you story after story of true people who have surrendered to the call of God, especially in ministry, where they received ten more mothers and ten more fathers and siblings all around the world because of their sacrifice to the Lord. And here's Timothy, who probably didn't have that kind of intimacy with his dad, but he chose to follow Jesus Christ. And when he chose to follow Jesus Christ, he didn't just give him a call, he gave him a dad. My true child in the faith. And not just my true child in the faith. You know what this tells us? It tells us the language that we should have as Christians for one another. This expresses how you and I should experience and exchange our hearts to one another as believers in Jesus Christ. If there's any lesson to learn about the church from verse 2 in this epistle about how the church should run, it is this. We are a family. We are brothers and sisters. We are 
Father and sons, mother and daughter. This is what the church is about. And some even in here can testify that you feel closer to Christians than you do with your own immediate family because of the common faith that you have. That you feel nearer to believers than you do your own brother or sister or mother or father. Not that you don't love them, that you don't serve them or honor them, but you, you sense in your heart a closeness because of the spirit of God in you and in them. That is something of great joy to us to understand that I, I come into a church and I'm not just a number to hear a sermon. I'm not just a number to be known and recognized for a stat of success. I am a part of a family. This is the, the joy of the kingdom of God and the church that we can know that warmth and we can know that sacrificial love for one another. we see here now as we understand who the man is behind the receiving of this letter what's next for us to understand is the mission that he was to undertake you and I understand the man who's receiving this letter now let us understand the mission that he is to undertake what does it say as I urged you Paul says in verse 3 as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Here's the mission. Timothy, stay in Ephesus. In the same way we unpack the beginnings of Timothy to understand who this man is, now it's time to unpack Ephesus and its beginnings to understand this whole situation with Ephesus. So we were in Acts 16. Turn your Bibles to Acts 19. It is most likely that somewhere along in Acts 18, Acts 18, Paul perhaps started a church in Ephesus. But it's in Acts 19 where the message of the gospel totally exploded with effectiveness. You're talking about unusual miracles, signs, and wonders. The man's handkerchief was being taken and laid upon sick people, and they were recovering. The man was casting out devils to the point where you had people by the droves getting rid of their witchcraft books and their magic and all these other things as a public confession of their devotion to Christ. The effect of the gospel in Ephesus was so powerful that not only did you have a Revival, do you know what they had? A riot. What do you mean? I'm, I'm saying that you read in Acts 19 where idol making shops went out of business and they went to go kill Paul because they realized that it was his message that was emptying out their pockets. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a move of God happening so strong in Chicago that on a Friday night the bars are empty and they're going, Where's everybody? That the strip clubs are so stripped of people that were burning with lust that they're filling up the houses of God that you have owners and managers going, what's going on? Where is everybody at? Where are all the customers? Revival takes the devil out of business in a local area. That's what it does. True revival, it empties out idol-making shops and fills the house of God. This is what happened when the apostle Paul stepped into Ephesus, perhaps for his second time. And the Apostle Paul was there for two to three years, teaching, preaching, raising up the church. I love that about Paul. He didn't just go to a place, preach, and then not come back to it. He, he preached in a place, he saw disciples made, he stayed there, he raised up leaders, and then he moved forward. 
And then he would come back and check on them. And he would write letters to him. This is what he did in Ephesus. And in Acts 20, what happens? He sits down with the elders of Ephesus. Now there are leaders, elders who are the pastors of the church. And he gives a long warning because Paul is headed to Jerusalem. And he thinks he's not coming out. In the way he's going to see them again. So he sits down with the elders and he gives them warnings. And he, and he gives them instructions of how to run the church. Now look at Acts 20 and see this one warning in verse 29. Look what he says to the elders. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. So just imagine Paul there sitting with these elders and he goes, listen guys, I know that when I leave, wolves are going to come in. Not sparing the flock and from among your own selves. So they're not just going to come from the outside. And he's saying, listen, even from within the church, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. To draw away disciples after them. He's warning them of church splits from false teaching. He's warning them of people that are going to come in and even rise up from within them. People that were sitting in the pews, quiet, all for a sudden in their back of their hearts and minds are brewing up a plan to whisper teachings to other people and pull them away from the truth. Paul says, I'm warning you. It's going to happen. So watch yourselves. Watch the church. And he, and he pleads with them. I'm leaving. This is in your care now. And he leaves. And what was Paul's nightmare became a reality. The church of Ephesus now had false teachers in the church teaching twisted things. And this is where, after who knows how long, Paul gave those instructions in Acts 20, where he calls a faithful young man, Timothy. He says, Timothy, come. We got a problem. Ephesus is in a mess. I'm calling you to go back. And the rest of 1 Timothy was given to him as instructions to put the church back in order. I thought to myself, this is so encouraging. You know why? Because 1 Timothy isn't a blueprint of how to start a church. It can be. It should be. But in the context of 1 Timothy, Timothy was given a blueprint of how to fix a church that was already in operation. Timothy was given instructions on how to put a church that was once in order that went out of order and it was operating in disorder. And Timothy was given the mission to go in there and put things in their right place. Do you know why that's valuable to us? Because God doesn't give up on his church. You know what could have been done? Paul could have gave this warning. He could have left. He could have heard news that there's false teachers and people doing this and that. And he could have been like, close shop, forget it, let's start a new one. He could have been like, forget about this church. Let's just plant another one. Timothy, let's go. Ephesus messed up. Look how they're disordered. Look how they, look how they function. Let's just move on out of here. No. Timothy was sent on a rescue mission. Go in there, Timothy. And give instructions to the elders. Give instructions to the people of God. That they may function the way God had ordained his church to function. God doesn't give up on his church so easily as we might. Now, the only necessary requirement for the church of Ephesus was to be responsive and humble enough to say, yes, we have veered off here. Yes, we have these gaps here. Yes, we're not here there yet, but let's move towards that direction. That's all the church of Ephesus needed to do. And God would honor that 
And God would have blessed that. And I love what it says here in verse 3 of 1 Timothy. He says, Timothy, remain. Remain at Ephesus. Do you know why he said remain? Because it was probably tempting for Timothy to not remain. Timothy probably had internal pressures because of his own timidity, because of his own age, and the external pressures of people that were dominating over the church and dominating over the local area. Timothy could have felt the pressure to be like, forget about this. This is way in over my head. Let me just go start something new. And Paul said to Timothy, stay. Abide. Remain. Don't give up, Timothy. There's still hope here. And I think that's a wonderful thing. This teaches us that God doesn't give up on a church. That God doesn't give up on a person if they have drifted and have not been in for even a long time walking the way God has called them to walk. But in this case, there's also a warning. Because you know, God's grace isn't just, I love you no matter what you do. The fact that Timothy was being sent was God's grace. Because if the church would refuse Timothy's instruction given by God through the Apostle Paul, surely God would have done something to make sure that he would close that shop. And I'm not reading into the text. It's because I believe after 1 Timothy was given to the church, after Timothy took on this mission, the church actually listened. When he was called to go and to deal with these false teachers that were teaching these strange things, I believe they actually listened. Why? Go to Revelation chapter 2. This is when Jesus wrote his own letter to seven different churches. And we see in chapter 2, verse 5, how he writes to the church of Ephesus. And what does he do? Jesus praises the church of Ephesus for what? Their strong teaching. Their purity and doctrine. They're pushing away of false apostles. Does that sound familiar? Doesn't it sound like they listened to what Timothy did when he came and he rebuked false teachers to push them back? Where people were speaking when they should have been speaking? Teaching things like don't get married and don't eat certain meats? And teaching for gain? Surely between 1 Timothy and Revelation, the church of Ephesus obeyed. But something else happened over time. In their focus and getting their teaching right and, and their ministry organized and having the right people in the right place and, and the right handling of this and the right handling of that, along the time, they lost the substance of what it was all about and that was a first love relationship with Jesus Christ on a personal level. As a church, they lost that. And Jesus writes to this church who had obeyed what he had said through 1 Timothy. And he says this in verse 5. He says, remember, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, here's the warning, if not, church of Ephesus, I will come to you, not Timothy. I'm not going to send a representative. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You know what he's saying? If you don't obey what I'm saying through this letter by the Apostle John, 
I'm going to close down shop. The lampstand, as we know in Revelation 1, is a symbolic picture of the church. She is the light to the world. She is clarity in a dark age. She is truth with so much confusion. And Jesus says, if you do not repent, if you don't change the way you operate as a church according to how I'm calling you, was it now about positions and was it now about order? No, it was about the heart. It was about the love that they had not fed. And he says, I will remove your lampstand. You know what that means? It means one of two things. Either physically, he will close shop. Or even worse, you want to know what's worse than a church closing shop? It operating by having no power, light, or the presence of Jesus Christ. He says, if you want to go your own way, then I will remove your ability to have effective witness in your area. You will no longer be a lampstand. You'll just be a hollow group of people that are doing the right things, but not for the right reason. So we see in 1 Timothy a tremendous amount of grace. This letter could have been a lot shorter if God didn't operate in his character as he always does. It could have been 1 Timothy, Timothy go and shut that place down. We're not having anything to do with him anymore. Go. Call them back to the way they should walk and I will bless them more than they can ever imagine. This morning we have learned two things before we start diving into the very practical teaching of the book of 1 Timothy. Number one, who Timothy was. Number two, who Ephesus was. And understanding this, that God is a God of grace. By calling a man such as Timothy, and by calling a church back to himself as a church of Ephesus. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, we think about your love and the depth of your care for individuals and for your church as a whole. We are amazed at your wisdom, how in two simple verses, you can say so much. And Lord, as your church, we sit back ready for this series to say, whatever you say, we will do. Whatever you want, we will say yes to. We are your bride, ready to adorn herself the way the bridegroom desires. God, maybe there is in this place some Timothys. Maybe there are some people in here that are at the same place as Timothy in terms of age, season of life, college student, high school student. But they might not consider themselves as a disciple. Their reputation would not be able to testify that they are followers of Christ wholeheartedly. But God, with this young man's story in Timothy, encourage everybody in here to say, I'm willing to do whatever I gotta do to follow him. And whatever he wants to do with my life from that point on, I will say yes to, even if I have to circumcise some things. And God, we look at Ephesus and we see a church that started so powerfully, but somehow drifted away, and yet you, you're calling them. You were calling them. You're so patient with the development of your church. You were so patient with how the church should grow 
And Lord, all you need is a heart and the hearts of people to say, we want to do it God's way. We will, we will obey whatever it takes. Lord, may you see that in this church. May you see that with this body. We want to move in your direction. We want to do it the way your word says to do it. And we want to expect that you will bless it more than you've already blessed it. God, we choose to stand in your presence this morning to rejoice the beginning of this series that you have much to say to us and that we will be blessed as your church. We give you glory, Lord. We give you honor. We recognize you for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we stand and worship the living God of the living church and that his wisdom is for our good and for his glory. We say, Lord, we bless you for 1 Timothy. We bless you for what you're going to say to us in the next few weeks.